Scripture reading today is Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Mark chapter 4. Verse 35, if you walked in here today a little bit anxious, maybe a little bit worried, or maybe even know a lot of a lot of bit fearful, the Lord has a word for you. Mark 4.35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we drown? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Be quiet. Be still. And then the wind calmed down, and it was completely Completely still. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, Mark records. And they asked each other, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, please. We know who it is, Lord. It's your son, Jesus the Christ the Son of the living God, the one that death could not keep in a tomb. In some days, uh, you could say the same thing of us. Where is our faith? Why is there so much fear instead of faith? Father, we want to grow past that. We too want to be amazed. We want to be able to face the fears that we have in our lives and not allow them to debilitate us and to cripple us but instead, Father, to mobilize us. And we come confessing we cannot do that on our own. We are miserable at facing our fears well. So would you please enable us to do that? Would you please, through this week's spokesman, would you please allow your spirit to use this word to do what only you can do to help us look a little bit more like Jesus than when we walked in here today? We ask you humbly, but hopefully, In Jesus' precious name, and everyone said, amen. There is plenty to be fearful about these days, isn't there? I don't know what your political mindset is, but I can guess for many of you, Tuesday's outcome for president was a little distressing. Possibly to the point that, if you're honest, leaving you a little bit fearful about what the next four years might look like. Now, for some of you, if President Obama was exactly the candidate you hoped would be elected, I think you still have to admit that if the Congress and the President don't put aside party politics, especially coming towards this fiscal cliff that many of you may not know about, may know about in December 31st, this country could very easily slip right back into a recession, if not worse. And it has some of us fearful. Iran, a country that's known for being religiously militant, 
bent on spreading terror around the globe, more so than goodwill, is working desperately to develop nuclear weapons. And that has some of us fearful. You can't turn on the news without wanting to put your family in a bunker, can you? You don't have to go looking for things that keep you awake at night. And so I'd like very much at this time, this day, not only of our nation's history, but this church's history, to speak to you from the Word of God about facing fears, whatever those fears may be. And I want to do that in a serious way. But to start off with, I'd like to talk to you about a not-so-serious story about a gentleman who was facing some fears. He was a fearful taxi driver. He picked up what he hoped would be his last fare of his shift. It was late at night. He was tired from being in a taxi cab for 10 hours. His ride got in, gave the driver instructions how to get to the hotel, then off they went. It was an unusually dark night without any moon whatsoever. And the passenger nestled down to the back seat. He was exhausted too. He didn't say anything for almost 20 minutes. And then he remembered something he wanted to, to ask the taxi driver. So he reached up and he tapped him on the shoulder. And that absolutely startled the driver near to death. He swerved to the right and he swerved to the left and finally got the car into control and pulled over to the side, turned the car off and, and, and looked at the, the guy in the back seat and said, Guy, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, this is my first time to drive a taxi cab ever. And the guy said, well, what did you do before? He said, well, for 25 years I drove a hearse. <laughs> Some of you will get that at lunch. Fears can bring about all kinds of hurtful responses. And I've talked a little bit about general fears, about national fears, maybe even church fears, maybe even some county fears, or maybe there's some town fears that you have. But you also have some personal fears. I know that. A marriage that you're not sure will survive another month has you fearful. A biopsy of a strange mole that is being sent off to be tested for malignancy has you a little fearful. A daughter who's lost two babies to miscarriages is in the hospital now in her third trimester and there's complications and you're fearful. Maybe you're full of fear that the kids at school will never see you as anything but a loser. Maybe you're fearful that no one will ever see you as someone to date, let alone spend the rest of their life with. And you're fearful. There is plenty at this time in our lives to be fearful about. And I don't know if you feel it, but it's almost like there's this dark cloud over our country right now. Maybe that's why our generation uses more mood-altering drugs than any generation before in history. Maybe that's why one psychiatrist wrote the other day that our children today live with the same level of fear that psychiatric patients did in the 1950s. Let that one soak. Life is not for cowards, is it? It is an anxious time to be alive, and yet one of the things that Jesus seemed to say often to those of us who found ourselves in the midst of trying times, in the midst of fearful times, was this. Do not be afraid. Just believe. Luke 8 and verse 50. I am here. Take courage, Matthew 14 and verse 27. I tell you, do not worry about your life, Luke 12 and verse 22. 
Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. John 14 and verse 1. And then in Matthew 17, 7. Come on. Rise up. And do not be afraid. Jesus wants us to know that while fear may fill our world, fear does not have to fill our hearts. Amen, church? All right. It's not like fear is a recent plague. Fear is a powerful emotion that can be traced back as far as the Garden of Eden. In the very beginning of time, you know the story. Adam and Eve were tempted to disobey God, and when they did, they hid from God. And when God comes looking for them, he asked them, why did you hide? Remember what Adam said? We were afraid. The very first negative human emotion recorded in Scripture is fear. And fear has been with us ever since. Now, from my reading of the Word, I know God does not want us to live in fear. From my being a father and knowing that he, he, he thinks of us as his children, I know our Father does not want us Living in fear, although it has to be a factor in our lives, always will be. It does not have to be disabling. It does not have to be destroying for those of us who are seeking to serve the living God. Let me say it just as clear so you don't miss any of the message in case I muddle through this. You were destined, church, for faith, not fear. Your destiny as a child of God is faith, not fear. Would you repeat those three words so that I can make sure we're tracking here? Faith, not fear. One more time. Faith, not fear, that's your destiny. If you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now please hear me, I'm not saying that you were destined to live in the absence of fear. No way. But you are destined to rise above them. (laughs) Besides, what's odd about fear is at times of crisis, fear can actually be pretty helpful. It's a huge motivator. As a matter of fact, God wired our bodies in such a way that when we're confronted by a threat... We are able then to either fight or to take flight. You've experienced this. Something threatening happens to your family and adrenaline, that incredible toxin fills your body and all of a sudden as it shoots through your system, your pupils dilate, your heart rate increases, it gets blood to all parts of the body and prepares it to react, to move, to take action. And when all of this works as it should, it enables us to think and to act successfully in ways that take us or our loved ones out of harm's way. A couple examples. When you hear a rattlesnake, all of a sudden your body becomes fully aware. We need to stop what we're doing and think about it and do something different. Right? That's what adrenaline does when your body hears a rattlesnake buzz. You hear a noise in the house at night. Fear motivates me to do something. Like wake up my wife and hand her a bat. While I go get the gun, all right. That's healthy fear. Fear handled in an unhealthy way immobilizes us, but fear that's healthy mobilizes us to get ourselves or our family out of harm's way. Now, just to see that we're tracking here, let's take a quick test. I'm going to read a statement about fear, and I want you as a church to respond in one of two ways, healthy or unhealthy. Ready? Here's the first statement. How would you describe a fear that would keep you from letting your kids play in the middle of the street? Healthy or unhealthy? Healthy, good. How would you describe a fear that would keep you from applying for your dream job that you've always wanted? Unhealthy. 
How would you describe the fear that would keep you from expressing your truest feelings when your wife asks you, do these pants make me look fat? <laughs> Healthy fear. How would you describe the fear that keeps you from saying something to a friend who's going down the wrong path with drugs? Healthy fear. That's unhealthy fear. Because I need to say something. How would you describe the fear that you might be called a dork for wearing your favorite polyester leisure suit to church? That's a healthy fear, guys. Keep that one. How would you describe the fear that keeps you from playing with a knife? Healthy fear. Not all fear is bad. Fear can make a huge positive difference in the life that God intended for you to live. Two quick examples. I've known addicts who have looked down the road of life and realized I will spend my life alone at best and in jail at worst if I do not give up this habit today. And from that fear, they've had the courage to clean up and get help. I've known of workaholic dads that finally come to the conclusion, unless I make some changes in my life, specifically my schedule, I will lose everything that matters to me. And they made those changes. I know of people who have looked into their eternity and seen a God who's not in it. And it scared them. And they made some changes about that. Because they wanted God to be in their life. Fear can protect and redirect life in a way that's good. Good fear mobilizes. But listen to me clearly. Bad fear immobilizes. Here's the kind of fear I'm talking about. There is a difference between initial fear and perpetual fear. You with me? There's a difference between initial fear and living in fear, perpetual fear. That kind of fear will keep you from saying what you need to say and going where you need to go and doing what you need to do. So can I show you how to get a grip on fears? Instead of just denying them or avoiding them or just trying to suppress them, instead of just ignoring them, we can, from God's perspective, manage them well. And it starts really in a general principle this way. You just got to get a new mind. You got to think for a change differently than maybe you've ever thought before if you want to get rid of some of the fears that have been nagging you all of your life. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says to Christians, people who have been blessed by forgiveness, but also blessed by the power of the Spirit moving into their lives, giving them new minds and new hearts, you've still got to do something with that mind. You've got to make some choices. He says to every believer, you are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm just going to share from a personal basis how I'm trying to handle fears these days. I choose to see fearful situations differently than I did 20 years ago. In three specific ways. Number one, I choose... To see that God is in it with me. Now that's a choice. That is not a given. Even if you're a Christian. I choose to see that God is in this with me. One of my favorite pocket scriptures I carry around in my heart all the time is this one. If God is for me, who could be against me? Isn't that a great pocket scripture? Every one of you kids got to have that in your heart now. Regardless of what's going to come in your life. If you know that one, you've got a head start on the rest of us who didn't get this. If God is for us, who could be against us? I choose to believe that's true. That's not a given. It's amazing to me, the older that I become, how two people can look at the same set of situations, the same circumstances, and yet see two different things. Let me give you two examples of Scripture. 
Remember the story of the spies in Numbers chapter 14? Moses has led the people out of, the, out of uh, Egypt and they're on the verge of the promised land. And so he sends in those 12 spies. They go in as one team to collect information, data, on what's in that promised land. They come back in two camps. Ten of them. All they could see was how big the giants were. Two of them. Joshua and Caleb could only see how big their God was. Same circumstances. Two completely different perspectives. You remember the story of David and Goliath, don't you? Same set of circumstances, two different perspectives. David shows up to the battle lines to bring his brother some well-needed food. And he walks up, and there's supposed to be a war going on here, and there's not. There's just this big giant of a guy who walks down into the valley every evening and taunts the nation of Israel and just makes it very, very clear. Listen, send out your best champion. He beats me, we're your slaves. Ah, but if we beat you, you're our slaves. Nobody's moving. Because they're afraid. They're full of fear. Not David. He's full of faith. Faith. What are we doing sitting around? I'll, I'll take him on. Let me at him. This uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of the Lord. Come on. And you know the story. The little boy walks into the valley, gets him some stones, walks into that giant, slings that thing, throws it, hits it between the eyes. And the scripture doesn't record this, but it was true. Nothing ever entered my mind, Goliath said, as he was on his way down like that. How do you see the same set of circumstances but come away with two different perspectives like that? I can tell you why. Because someone has the lenses of faith on. These men did not have magical faith dust sprinkled all over them. Joshua and Caleb were men who simply chose to remember that the same God who delivered them from Egypt and Pharaoh's army would surely do the same for them. The same God who delivered David from bears and mountain lions would surely take care of a foul-mouthed Philistine. They chose to see a situation through the lenses of faith. Now, some of you in here I know, like myself, wear corrective lenses, contact lenses. Anybody have contact lenses in? Well, I'm wearing these this morning because I need help seeing away and now help seeing up close. I'm a mess visually. I think most of us in this world are a mess visually. All of us need corrective lenses of some kind to see clearly the way that God wants us to see. If I don't have my contact lenses in, the contours of your faith and the contours of that carpet are the same. You're just one blob. But when you put corrective lenses in my eyes, I can see you the way you really are. The same thing is true with the lenses of faith. When you put on the corrective lenses of faith in this world, God enables you to see things the way they really are, not in the distorted way that we think that they are. Does that track with you? I need the lenses of faith in my life to see the kind of reality God wants me to see. And the only way that those lenses come, Romans 10 and verse 17 says, is this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the finish of church. Word of God. By me jumping into these stories of Man and woman after woman who stood not in fear but in faith to take life on, head on. The alternative is pretty bleak. If you don't believe that there is a God, then this is one cold place. Fear really is the ultimate factor. And I don't think there's much hope. I refuse to live that way.
I choose to believe that God is in this with me. And seeing life through those lenses makes life different. Is it easy? No, but it makes life different. I choose to believe that what David says in Psalms 46 is not about him, it's about me. God is my refuge. He is my strength and an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. I choose to believe what he says in Psalms 56. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose words I praise, I will trust. I will not be afraid. Now, I don't know what your phobia is this morning that you've brought in here with you, but I can tell you this. Under that fear is leaving God out of the picture. George Patton was a great military mind and a great hero in World War II. Once in Sicily, an Italian officer said, you are one of the bravest men that I know. And Patton said, I'm not that brave. I've never been in a battle in my life where the palms of my hands didn't sweat and my stomach do somersaults. But I did learn very early in my life never to take counsel from my fears. My fears are real, he said, but my fears do not call the shots. I like that. I like that a lot. I do not take counsel from my fears. I take counsel from the word of God. And if God is with me, who in the world could be against me? Amen? All right. That's one of the choices that I'm trying to make right now to, to get my mind renewed and on track the way God intends for me to live in this world. I choose to believe that God is in this with me. Number two, I choose to believe that God is using the things that make me afraid to teach me. God loves to take things that Satan has meant for harm and work them against him. Immobilizing fear is not from God. It's from the evil one. And you need to remember that. I personally believe that there truly is a demonic force in this world and his name is Satan. I believe that. And I love stories when anybody shows enough courage to not back down from this guy, this monster, this black force that's in our world. I heard a story the other day that made me smile. A certain deacon in Mississippi didn't back down and the church learned of his courage when one day the devil actually showed up in their services. Everyone made a beeline for the exits, including the preacher, Everyone but Deacon Spellman. The devil couldn't believe this guy wasn't also in a panic. And so he walked over and said, sir, do you have any idea who I am? He said, yes, sir, you're the devil. He said, that's right. Do you know that I have the power to destroy everything dear to you? He said, yes, sir. He said, do you know that I have the power to inflict all kinds of pain to make you scream in agony? He said, yes, sir. He said, then why aren't you the least bit afraid? He said, because for 45 years I've been married to your sister. I felt like talking about fears need a little bit of laughter there. <laughs> the devil's no joke, though, is he? Mm -mm. The devil's no joke. And what he wants to do is to steal and to kill and to destroy everything valuable to you in your life. Make sure the one who is trying to do that gets the right credit. All right? He is the author of fear. God may use that to teach you some things. But make no doubt about it. Satan cannot wait to make you absolutely fearful. I don't need to give you a verse. I can give you the entire Bible as evidence that if there's one thing that you can read about from Genesis to Revelation on almost every page, it's that we are at war. 
Sorry. Sorry. Our veterans that are here today, most of them, some of them may have been drafted, but they signed up and said, I choose to go and fight. You have no, no choice. Oh, yeah, you do. The worst here, you can choose to fight or not. Satan's hoping you don't choose to fight. But on every single page of this book is contending and fighting and engaging some enemy somewhere. It is a supernatural clash of the titans. Only this is no myth. This is real. And brother, I want to tell you, if your family is going to make it through this personal piece of your war, you are going to have to fight. Mama, if your family is going to make it through their own little war that's going on in your household, you're going to have to fight. Or Satan will win. He's that good. Satan is doomed. He is toast, I'm telling you, if the battle for your heart is filled with faith instead of fear. I want you to have a grip on fear like that. And the Bible says that I can in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. Listen to these words of God. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power and of self-control. I like that verse. I've not given you a spirit of fear. I didn't come from God. Fear comes from the devil. He'll use it to teach you. But he gives you a spirit of power and of self-control. You say, wait a minute, you keep talking about this God teaching you through fears. What do you mean by that? I believe with all of my heart that when you're afraid, God is trying to say, you know, this could be an idol in your life. That's how he teaches me. God can use things that you're afraid of as an indicator of what you're putting your trust in. Is one of your biggest fears health? You're afraid it's never, you're never going to get back? God may be revealing that that's an idol in your life. Is one of your biggest fears money? Are you worried about not having enough, not, not keeping what you have? It could be that God's trying to show you that money has become an idol in your life. Are you afraid that you're never going to get married or never going to get remarried? It could be God saying that you've made marriage an idol in your life. Where do you have fear? I'm choosing to see that area as a place in my life God's wanting to grow me up in and maybe revealing an idol that's taken place. It's gotten root in my life that he wants to get rid of. There's a great scripture in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 11 that I think helps us with this. It's a great picture of God in the Old Testament describing how he helped out Israel in being the people he wanted them to be. It says this, God has been to you like an eagle that stirs up her nest. Now, I know you can have trouble putting the connectors of those two together. What do you mean uh, God's teaching me through fears and what does an eagle in a nest have to do with any of that? A mama eagle builds her nest for her little eaglets. And for the first few months of their lives, mama makes sure the nest is comfortable and warm and cozy. She takes care of everything. She takes care of all the food, all the safety issues, all the protection issues. It is a nice little life. And she loves providing. However, the one thing this mama eagle does not want to come home five years from now and find is a bunch of slacker eaglets eating potato chips and playing video games. Mama Eagle would like her nest empty. But more than that, she would like to see her little eaglets enjoy living the life that God intended for them to live. So what does she do? She stirs up the bottom of that nest where the twigs and the glass and the rocks are that have given that nest a foundation purposely to make home a little uncomfortable. 
That way the eaglets aren't comfy anymore and it makes them want to learn how to fly on their own. God is allowing fears to be a part of your life because He doesn't want to see you shut down. He wants to see you search your heart. I know it's a little uncomfortable, but He uses that uncomfortable stuff in our lives to grow us up and help us soar. Soar. Not just stay stagnant. I don't care how long you live in this world, God is not going to let your nest be comfy enough that it doesn't have some fears in it to get you to examine your life and say, who really is God here? I believe with all of my heart that God wants me to be faithful, not fearful. And so I'm choosing to believe that He's in this with me and I'm choosing to believe that He's using these fearful things to teach me. And number three... I'm learning that the way to overcome fear is really just get a bigger fear. I think too many of us are looking for fear in all the wrong places. If we had the right fear, I think the wrong fears would be absolutely disabled. Now, I get that from the text that we launched this lesson with in Mark chapter 4. Kind of a strange story, isn't it? We're not going to go into a great depth of detail they're traveling across a little lake. A squall comes up. Not just any squall. It's, it's swamping the boat to the point that the disciples are worried that they're going to drown. And their teacher's asleep. And they wake him up. And I love the order of this. Peace, be still. And all of a sudden that lake becomes glass. It's just so calm. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, Do you still not have faith? Why are you so afraid? And then the disciples were filled with awe. Some of your texts, like mine, says they were terrified. They weren't terrified of the storm. The storm had them anxious and fearful. They were terrified when all of a sudden they recognized they have a Savior here who can speak to winds and waves and handle it in a moment. They became more terrified of the Savior than they were of the storm. And in that moment, I'm convinced, their fear of storms wasn't wiped out, but it was overcome by a greater fear. Are we tracking? You need to get a bigger fear, church, if you're just being debilitated by fears in your life right now. Their fears didn't go away, but they were redirected. And I want mine to, to be handled in the same way. If the fear of God is absent in your life, write this down. The fear of everything else is going to be present. Anytime you place your trust in a false security, you will live a life of insecurity. That's existence. It's not living. Come on. What do you say we live? What do you say we face these fears? Choosing to believe that God is with us. Choosing to believe that maybe he's teaching us something with them. And choosing to get a bigger fear than whatever the fear is that's standing right in front of me on my doorstep. Are you afraid for your body? Fear God who made your body and has said, not only will I take care of raising that body, but I'll give you a new one. Are you afraid of where your money's going to come from? Fear God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who could pay for any debt that you have in your life and provide for you daily. Are you worried about tomorrow and what it might bring? God is the author of tomorrow's. History is His creation. Fear Him. Are you afraid of death? The tomb's empty for heaven's sakes. And for yours. Don't have to be afraid of death. 
God is bigger than anything that's making you feel small. That's why we started with Proverbs today. Trust in Him. Don't lean upon your own understanding in all your ways. I don't care whether they're joyful or fearful. You acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. He will do that. He'll work it out some way, somehow. But it begins, Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, by having Him as your biggest fear. It's the beginning of wisdom. And I think it's the beginning of life. And the beginning of winning the battle that belongs for those of us in Christ, to the Lord. You will survive your own personal storm if your eyes are fixed on Him and not on what's causing you to be fearful. Let's end this lesson this morning by singing to one another instead of me preaching to you about the truth and the majesty of the One who in a word can speak peace into our lives. And if you need that this morning instead of singing you want to come and have someone pray over you about your own personal storms going on, we would love to have that privilege of doing so, of speaking His name over them, of saying, all right, be still, cancer. Be still, marriage struggles. Be still, whatever, fill in the blank. We have the authority and power to do that because we're His kids. And it kind of, it's kind of a privilege to be able to do that every week when we gather here. But let's sing. Go ahead and be standing. Let's stand. We've got a song to sing with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And if we can respond to help you this morning, either come to Christ or be strengthened in Christ, let us do so.